Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, Very Nice People and Other Deadly Perils. In this episode, I've got Dr. Joe Scrivens, a good friend of mine, back on the podcast, and we're talking about all things to do with connection, friendship, work, and life really after lockdown. We talk about what we want to stop, start, and continue. We talk about the things that we learned during lockdown, and particularly, we talk about the importance of connection. Now, this does come with a bit of a health warning because you need to be connecting with the right types of people. So listen if you want to know what the difference is between very important people and very nice people in your life. Listen if you want to learn how to say no more and do it better. And listen for some tips on how to connect more deeply with those in your workplace. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's brilliant to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Joe Scrivens. Now, some of you might remember the episode that Joe did for us well, way back last year, and that was all about her experience of losing her mum. And it was a, a really moving episode, and we've had lots of feedback from people about how much they appreciated it. So thanks, Joan. It's great to have you back. Yes, thanks for inviting me back, Rachel. Great to be here. So for people that don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a Joe, as Rachel said. I'm a part-time GP, so I work on the GP retainer scheme in Cambridgeshire. I also have a, a bit more of a portfolio role in terms of I also sit on the LMC committee in Cambridgeshire, so Cambridgeshire LMC, and also do some part-time work doing some presenting on the Lead Manage Thrive course with Red Whale. So, wow, very portfolio career. Yes. And, you know, on the whole, that's worked out well for me. So, you know, it's been a nice route to be able to take. Brilliant. So we thought we would get on today and have a little bit of a chat about 
about lockdown, about what we experienced during lockdown. And this is on the back of a, a webinar that we did in my community, the Thrive Tribe, all about what we wanted to stop, start and continue. And for, for those of you who want to delve a little bit deeper into this, you can download a free Stop, Start, Continue checklist toolkit in the links in the show notes. But we were really thinking about what happened during lockdown and even though in many many ways it was really tough and really difficult there was a little bit of it that actually made us breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief when everything suddenly stopped and when we suddenly got a little bit of headspace I mean how did you feel when everything suddenly just stopped Joe? Yes, well, I think I think that's interesting what you've said about, you know, there was lots of emotions attached to things with lockdown, weren't there? But I, I think for myself, and actually quite a lot of people I've spoken to, there was that sense of relief and sort of um, period of calm that came with not having the usual busyness of life. Because, yes, things were busy, say, for certain people with their jobs and their work that might have been exacerbated by COVID and the lockdown. But also, you know, we stop doing those things that cram into our diaries, don't we? All the social events and the things that you do for your children, those all came to a halt. And so after the initial kind of shock, you know, it settled down into a, mm, you know, there's some aspects of this that are actually quite nice and have given time for for things that we don't necessarily always have time for so there was that sense of you know quite enjoying aspects of it as you said you know and I think for people on the front line it was you know it's a really weird dualism that in terms of work was really really busy and then they'd get home and suddenly it wasn't and you couldn't go out and you couldn't do anything apart from you know the odd walk or, or bike ride or something like that and maybe that's what what helped people actually survive during the you know the busy periods at work and I know that for GPs we had these times that some people had nothing to do some people had a huge amount to do and the thing is it's all come back now hasn't it the workload has you know is now higher than it was before the coronavirus crisis it, it was high enough as it was but it's getting more and more and so we were we were talking weren't we Joan thinking about what is there that we would like to continue and one of the things that we talked about which I think people don't talk about it enough but it's friendships and it's about connection and it's about how we found those connections with people you know during lockdown that we want to continue to nurture but it's also about actually there are some connections that maybe we don't want to continue to nurture that actually are, are generally a, a bit of a drain on us and, and how you find that balance and how you do it. So how did you find during lockdown you were able to connect with people? Well, I suppose it really highlighted, didn't it, how connected we are as humans, you know, not only from the emotional aspect of our human interactions and our relationships, but also economically, how much we're connected as humans and how, you know, if you don't have humans making contact and going into places and businesses, you know, there's an economic impact. I suppose in terms of human relationships, you know, it's not only my friendships, my, you know, my close friends and people I enjoy spending time with, but it's also thinking about the wider network of people in your local community and also thinking about, you know, family and other members of my family further afield that, 
you know, how did we keep connected there? Especially, you know, people like my dad, who's now living on his own, and the importance for him of how difficult it was losing those human connections. So I think there was learning on all fronts there, you know, friends, you know, the wider community, and also my family as well. So I don't know whether you want me to speak any more about that. Would that be useful? Yeah, I I think it's interesting, isn't it, that it really brought home the connections that you really wanted and the connections that maybe were a bit more casual and not so important. But I recently listened to a, a fantastic podcast from HBR, actually not HBR it's about work work life by Adam Grant it's from Ted actually Mm. it's absolutely fantastic and they were talking about loneliness and all the research that's gone into loneliness and apparently being lonely is has the health detriment of the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day so it, it has a massive effect on people not just your mental health but actually your physical health and and I think people have postulated that that might be one of the reasons why we've seen a bit of excess death over this just on top of the coronavirus crisis that you know people who are elderly or isolated aren't getting that that regular connection with people which yeah. which keeps people going yeah. and it's so so important Yeah, I mean, I I really sense that with patients at work, you know, I could see there talking to people on the telephone, how losing those connections, not being able to go out as much as they might do and get the benefits of being outside in the fresh air and in nature. You know, I really sensed a huge impact that was having on some members of our, you know, population locally where I work. And also seeing it even just around the streets where I lived, you know, there was an elderly lady, I remember, you know, further up the road, sitting outside on her front step. And normally, she's quite a jolly sort of chatty person, and seemed really down after several weeks of being in lockdown about, you know, not being able to get out and about as much as she would do normally, and how, you know, that had really inhibited her contact with other people. And I noticed it also with my dad speaking to him on the phone, you know, he's not necessarily an extrovert, he's more of an introvert, my dad, but I think it made him really realise how important those social interactions are, even just going into the shop and chatting to the person behind the counter, or, you know, being able to go out walking with your friends or meeting your friends in the pub. You know, there's small things, but when they all add together, you know, they they make a big difference to our well-being and how important that really is. Yeah. And I think we forget about the importance of connection, not just sort of socially outside of work, but also in work, because plenty of people have said to me, oh, I don't have friends at work. I don't need friends at work because I've got plenty of friends outside of work and I'm far too busy at work. But again, all the evidence points to having friends at work being really protective in terms of resiliency stops you going down the the vortex of busyness. And I, I heard a statistic. I'm not sure if it's true, but Somebody told me, someone who's a real expert in well-being, that having a good friend at work increases your life expectancy by seven years. Mm, gosh. Which is phenomenal, isn't it? And yeah. I think crumbs, really. And how does that actually work? But actually, seven, seven years? Imagine if you're going to work every day and mm. you don't have anyone that you can just say hi to or have a bit of social chit-chat or feel like they've got your back which I think is so important, just feeling that people are on your side. Well, I I noticed that. I mean, you know, during obviously lockdown and the adjustments that had to be made just at our workplace in general practice, 
you know, really noticing the difference initially, you know, we were cut off from our reception team. Normally we'd be able to walk through reception and chat to people who were on their desks in reception and, you know, find out how they were. And even just that general chit chat was nice, you know, then going through to our staff room and, you know, we might have been discussing patients and clinical problems, but we'd also have a bit of a laugh about various things that had happened over the weekend, make each other a cup of tea and stroll into each other's rooms a bit during the day, you know, when we're consulting, just to to ask about various things. So that suddenly stopped when lockdown happened, you know, no access through to to the the reception area, we didn't have a staff room up and operating because of not wanting to all sit in one room sharing potential virus risk. And also, we cut off our contact with other humans like our patients, because we're doing much more telephone consulting. And so you could easily see how you could become disconnected by just walking into your room on the morning, shutting the door, sitting on the telephone all day, hardly seeing anyone face to face and leaving in the evening. And I think we've learned to adjust over time and how much I've appreciated that, that we have started to, you know, have more interaction at work, check in on each other. And even if we've been through more Zoom meetings, we've had regular team meetings to touch base with how everyone's getting on. And even that makes a difference to know that you're looking out for each other and you're sharing information together and supporting each other, which has a huge benefit, I think. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And again, this podcast, they're talking about the research around loneliness and actually you don't need much you need maybe one person just one person that you feel that you get on with and connect at work and they were looking at the research about how you build connections with people and how you feel connected you need a conversation of 40 seconds to feel connected with someone so it's not it's not a big deal and it's not a big long thing but just 40 seconds of a I guess a a deeper conversation and the the things that they were looking at and talking about in terms of how to build up connections it was really interesting actually they did this this woman on who had worked out how to do this exercise that would bring people together that, that didn't know each other how do you form connections in a short space of time and so they went to a I think they went to sort of a co-working building and got some volunteers and, and worked out how you did this and what she did is she, she got people into pairs of people that didn't know each other at all and said for one you've got one minute each and you have to try and build a deep connection with the other person just mm. through a conversation and they would do this And then she said, right, and now you need to give feedback to the other person about how it went and what worked and stuff. And the really interesting thing is that it wasn't the trying to build a connection bit that built the connection. It was the giving feedback bit that built the connection because you suddenly started to self-disclose a bit, go, oh, well, when you said that, I was thinking this and actually, and the other person say, you know, well, that was a really good question you asked me because actually this. So you then start to have another, another conversation and people would start to open up and be vulnerable. And so the things that they were talking about, are the things that actually did build the connection were, well, first of all, finding some sort of commonality with people. You know, is there anything that you have in common that you can talk about? And then the two really important things were, first of all, self-disclosure. So letting people know a bit about yourself, which I know at work, a lot of people just like put the barriers up and say, right, that's it. I'm not going to disclose anything, but actually it's really important. And I guess that links in with the third thing, which is vulnerability. So being able to put yourself out there and admit faults and failings, admit things that you find hard, and that really, really built the connection. 
So that to me was really interesting that w- with complete strangers, you can actually get them to build a really deep connection just by those those few things. Mm. So it must be easy to do that with people we work with, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that whole vulnerability thing is really interesting and that that disclosure about your, yourself, because I think very easily in, in a workplace, particularly when you're surrounded by other professionals who, you know, seem to be really good at their job and really seem to be managing, you know, we're taught, particularly as doctors, aren't we, that, you know, when you're training at medical school, it's quite tough and you're sort of, you know, it's sort of thought if you can show that you can manage and you're tough and you can get through, you know, you're thought to be a really successful, good doctor. But actually, it's often when, you know, if you go into work and you're surrounded by people and you're thinking that everyone is thriving and doing okay, and actually, particularly in a very pressurized environment like general practice, it's very easy to be quite hard on yourself at the end of the day and thinking about how you've been running late, you haven't known all the latest guidelines about everything and you know you you've struggled potentially during the day it's very easy to be hard on yourself then isn't it and drive home at the end of the day thinking am I really up to this is this really the job I should be in it's actually when you talk to people and they do start to reveal some chinks in their armor that you become much more grounded in your relationship with them and think well actually Other people struggle with this stuff. We can talk about this stuff. And actually sharing those vulnerabilities and those hardships really does help to build friendships, but also helps to build your own self-esteem as well when you recognise that other people are going through similar stuff to you. And, you know, that that's acceptable and that's normal and it's part of the normal, you know, the normal day in the job, if you like. Yeah. That is just so important. It's been really interesting. The feedback I've had from people about the podcast is it's so good to know that there's other people thinking the same as me in the same boat struggling. I thought I was the only one struggling like this. And certainly when I do the training courses about resilience and productivity and well-being, one of the real key things that people like to do is talk to other people. And suddenly they realize, gosh, that person's in exactly the same boat as me. They struggle in the same way. I'm not weak I'm not abnormal there's nothing wrong with me and often that's you don't need the problem solving you just need to know that it's okay to have the problem does that make sense absolutely I think that's really really important and I know you know when I've had colleagues at work when you have colleagues that you can trust and you can say you know I know this seems really silly but I I don't know how to do this or I don't know what to do about this situation and it's really helpful when you know that other people you know, also struggle with those things. It's not, it's not just you. And as I say, it really helps to kind of make you feel more confident in your own ability, knowing that other people struggle with similar things. Yeah, because a lot of the time, the stress that we feel is due to the stories that we're telling ourselves in our head. And if you say, say you've got a difficult patient, you don't quite know what to do. So you've got that stress of, I don't know what to do. What should I do? to keep them then safe and to treat them well if you're then layering on top of that and I really should know what to do mm. I'm such a rubbish doctor because mm. I don't know and other people would be much better at this than me I wish it's probably because I've not kept up to date you know if you're layering all those stories and you Absolutely. talk to someone else who you really respect you think is brilliant and they go oh that's the tricky one I'm not sure what to do either immediately those stories yeah. <laughs> those stories about how crap I am drop away and you just then focus on that okay 
what is it that we could do? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And it just yeah. becomes much less stressful, doesn't it? Absolutely. Now, I remember there was a session at work where we talked about the chimp paradox and it was in a, it was in a staff meeting and we talked about what happens when the chimp, as it was, has escaped and your thoughts are just going absolutely AWOL, you know, they're, they're, you feel like you have got this chimp running around the room, squeaking loudly at you, causing a lot of stress. And it was really interesting in that meeting, just to someone saying, you know, how do you feel? What are your thought processes when the chimp escapes? We were particularly talking about being the on-call doctor for the, the morning or the afternoon and, and what is it like? And it was extraordinary. As soon as one person put their hand up and sort of said, oh, I feel like I'm really incapable. I feel like I shouldn't be in the job. I feel like I'm running late and I'm, I'm upsetting my patients and my colleagues. You know, as soon as people started saying this stuff, other people were putting up their hands and all joining in. And it, it was very sort of reassuring, I think, to the whole group that, that's what's happening in all of us or in a lot of us anyway some people may be very good at managing that stuff but for a lot of us that's the thought processes that are going on and actually just one or two people admitting to that allowed more people to talk and share those similar problems as it were yeah and I think you've hit the nail on the head about why connecting is so important a to be able to share that vulnerability but b then to run you know, one of the, the ways I teach about how to, you know, change your response to stress is recognize that chimp is out, recognize what the stories are and change the stories. You know, actually, what's the truth? And sometimes it's a friend or a close colleague that can actually speak the truth into the situation yeah. because you're too, your chimp is too busy chimping all over the place to be able to, to be able to do that. So if you have a friend or a colleague at work and said you know what anyone in this situation would be struggling with this you know and I think maybe you're struggling in particular because it reminds you of that other thing that happened or this so you know don't worry that you know I just think having someone else looking at the situation and, and sharing that is just so so important yeah I get it You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz absolutely at one stage I did go out and buy a postcard with a picture of a chimp on it so I could stick it to my computer screen and other members of the team would know when they walked in the room that the <laughs> chimp was out <laughs> I don't I don't use it at the moment but I did for a short while I've done training with teams and they've all gone and bought like little furry chimps and literally sat them on the top of their computers when when their chimp is out I think sometimes my chimp would just stay on my computer (laughs) so my family I'll just have a chimp permanently in the kitchen perhaps right so we talked about the importance of vulnerability sort of disclosure talking to people about the stories in your head and that's why it's so important to connect I think what I would say about connection is that it does come with a little bit of a health warning because I think there are times when we could be connecting maybe too much with the wrong sorts of people and that can absolutely 
drain your energy. Have you ever experienced that? Yes. I, <laughs> I won't mention any names, of course. Definitely not me. Obviously not me. <laughs> Obviously. That's why I'm here, Rachel, talking to you yet again. <laughs> I think for me that there are certain people, aren't there, that you spend time with that are incredibly energizing. You know, you meet up with them and you come away from a meeting with them and you feel lighter and you feel better from having spent time with them then there are some people you spend time with and you come away feeling quite drained by the conversation or depleted in energy a bit more if you like now I mean a lot of people I make contact with and are friendly with you know I walk away feeling a lot lighter and I wonder I wonder then that if that means that when I've left (laughs) really drained (laughs) Okay, I've seen Joe once once this month. I don't have to do it for another month. <laughs> so there may be that in this conundrum. But yes, there are some people who are more draining of, of your energy than others. So I think that's certainly something that I'm aware of. I think the other thing that I'm aware of as well is, is how over the years, certain people who've had problems and, and issues going on, who I've sort of felt that I should be the helper, the person who should solve these issues and help them through the process when that isn't always what's needed, actually. It was just a listening ear, but getting a bit too involved then in that kind of stuff that then drains you equally as well. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I think I definitely have experienced that. What about yourself? It's really interesting. So I found myself uh, when the kids were little, often out on, you know, drinks nights with the school mums, for example, or out in a big group or or for coffee in a a big group of people. And I'm a real extrovert. You know, I, I thrive off connection with people. But I found myself sometimes coming back thinking, oh, I didn't really enjoy that. It was okay, but why do I feel so knackered? You know, everybody was perfectly pleasant. And it was nice to get to know that person and chatting. But I just, I don't feel energised. And I remember reading this book where this chat was talking about these different types of people and their importance to you and the energy that they give you and don't give you. And I know we talked about this in a webinar before, so I'm just going to explain it for the listeners. So this person was talking about these different types of people. I'd be very interested to know if you've experienced any of these types. So first one, you've got these sort of very wise people in your life. So people who almost act as a bit of a guru that you don't get to talk too much, or you might not even get to talk to at all. You know, one of my gurus is someone who does a podcast. He, I think I've spoken to him once, but he would not know who I was. He's just, I find him very, very inspirational. And then you've got the next level of people who are your VIPs, your very important people. And these are people that, you know, when you know that if you go and you see them, you spend time with them, they will energize you, you you will enjoy it. And they will genuinely be helpful for your mental health. They will give back to you. They will be able to spot when, (laughs) when you're starting to go down the vortex, they will be able to spot when they're saying they will give you good advice and they, they challenge you as well. So, you know, that's important. Now, it doesn't mean that they're always challenging you sometimes you're challenging them so it's quite a mutual relationship the VIP relationship but net energy gain then you've got two other types of people the VNPs and the VDP so very nice people and very draining people now obviously very draining people 
we all can probably identify a few of those and they are people who after you spent time with your energy level is really low because you feel that you've you've given out and it might not be because you've just given out giving advice but maybe because you've had to listen and listen and listen and you know i know i've come back from evenings out with people and i thought to myself actually they didn't ask one thing about me <laughs> they have no idea what's going on in my life you know and they are an energy negative it's not to say that we never see very draining people because actually we may need to be supporting people and stuff but you have to balance those out with the vips it's all about making sure that your energy levels are filled but then the interesting thing for me was your vnps very nice people and the book i read was about it was by a, a church pastor actually and he said that a lot of the time, you know, for pastors, congregations are filled up with very nice people. And we all know very nice people and lots of people are very nice. And the problem with very nice people is that they don't give anything back. They don't necessarily take much, but, but actually the net consequence for your energy is a drain because they're not actually giving you energy so they're very pleasant they're very nice to be around but they don't re-energize you in the way that you're very important people do now there's a caveat to this people aren't either very important or very nice or very draining it, they're different for different people so someone's very draining person could be someone else's very important person and i'm sure that for lots of people i'm a very draining person or i could be a very nice person maybe for a few people a very important person i doubt whether i'm a very wise person very much but you know, I think it's really interesting about to recognize that if you spend a lot of time just with people who are very nice, but who don't necessarily re-energize you at all, you will still end up being depleted. So it's really seeking out those very important people. So it's not to say that I shouldn't have been out with those school ones getting to know people who are very nice, but actually it's that I hadn't got the balance of actually spending time with the important people, giving me back the energy. And that's probably true for work, it's true for home. Maybe it's true for family relationships as well. I don't know. Does that all sound like gobbledygook to you or does it sound sensible? No, I think it sounds sensible. I mean, I think particularly, you know, listening about the very wise people and the very important people and those being the people you really want to spend time with and how, you know, often in life there, there's lots of busyness, isn't there, in terms of opportunities to socialize things you can get involved with if you want to and actually how easy they can take over a little bit so that you can perhaps end up in those circumstances as you're talking about in large groups of people you know chatting to lots of people on a quite a superficial level and that's great that's nice to be able to do but but also actually the important bit about spending the most of your time with the important people in your life and i think you know during covid and lockdown that became much more obvious didn't it that actually the very important people are those immediately close to you those immediately around you and your family and actually the people that were important you wanted to make a connection with didn't you you wanted to seek them out and talk to them and you know have a, a chat on the phone or whatever it might be and there weren't those sort of pressures to be socialising with a lot of other people that you didn't necessarily feel were that important to you in your life, really. Because life is life's too short, isn't it? And I think I did read an, another book about as you get older, your social circle gets smaller. And it's not because I guess it's some, some, it's, there are lots of factors for that, aren't they? That you're not going to work anymore and you're not 
at the school gate and things like that. But often <laughs> it's because older people, and Atul Gawande talks about this in his book, Being Mortal. It's fascinating. Mm. Older people just go, sod it, life is too short to spend time with people I don't want to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I haven't got much time left. I'm damn well going to spend it with my important people. And they get yeah. a smaller circle of friends, but they're much closer and they see each other much more. I think there's something in that. I think there's probably definitely well there's definitely something in that I'm sure wisdom wisdom of older years yeah absolutely gosh you know uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that book I'd really recommend it being mortal by Atul Gawande it really changes the way you think about the way we or certainly the way we look after patients when they're older so Joe before we finish I just want to touch on something that you've already sort of mentioned in that you know there's running around in this social feeling you ought to do stuff and I think when you talk about connecting with people and and working out who your important people are and who you do want to spend time with it's sometimes a question of making some choices now about not spending time with those people so you can spend time with these people and one of the things we talked about a lot is the ability to say no to people which is quite hard you know, when we were caring and and kind and and giving and supportive now we I know we was joked that we both have problems saying no, but for different reasons. You, you, I think you have problems saying no because you're genuinely a very nice person. Like, not in the, the energy, <laughs> in the VMPs. Actually, you're you're really kind and you're really generous, and you will do anything to help people out if you can. Now, oh, I think very I, there we are. I'm, is that enough? Is that enough? Looking up. <laughs> I'm a bit different. I have problems saying no because genuinely I see everything as an opportunity that I'd really really like to do so there's so you have trouble saying no to things you don't really want to do because you're caring for the person I have trouble saying no because I generally want to do everything so for people like you that are really conscientious and very kind what tips would you you know how how have you managed to because you said to me earlier you reckon you're getting better at saying no well I'm obviously not am I (laughs) because you're on the podcast (laughs) twice yeah could do better <laughs> when you have been able to say no what, what have you done well, what have you tried I think you know it's recognizing isn't it that saying no actually takes quite a bit of courage to do you have to be quite well I feel I have to be quite brave about it particularly if you're a people pleaser you know that you you don't want to upset people or or make them you know feel put out by you saying no I think for me, it's probably having those thought processes. I mean, I think first of all is giving yourself time to give an answer. So I think one of my problems has always been people ask you to do something and you immediately want to please them. You say, oh, yes, that sounds great. You know, I'll come along to that or I'll do that. And then you walk away thinking, oh, God, why did I say yes to that? You know, actually, for me, it's giving myself some time and saying, oh, thanks for asking me that or inviting me to that. You know, can I, can I get back to you later? I'll just check my diary and see what's happening and then I can get back to you. So giving a bit of a breather, you know, and that allows me then to have maybe a bit of thinking time and actually to think, do I really genuinely want to do this or am I doing this for the other person? Now, I'm not saying then you would think anything that you're doing for someone else and not just to please yourself is the way we should be doing things. So we all have to do things in life that we don't always necessarily fully want to do and don't feel is truly all for ourselves. It's not saying, you know, we become just self-centered and cut out everything. But just having those thought processes and thinking, 
you know, do I really want to do this? How important is this to me? And how important is it to the other person that I do this? And also having that important, really important thought of what, if I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? And what I mean by that is, you know, when we say yes to things, there are other things then that, that have to be put by the wayside because we won't have time to do those things because we're doing this thing instead. So, you know, if you're thinking someone said to you, oh, you know, you're a really good speaker. Why don't you come and do this talk on this evening and it will be really great. And you realize actually by doing that, you won't be able to go to, you know, a children's show at school or whatever it might be. This was pre-COVID, obviously. You know, it's, it's recognizing the things you're missing out on potentially or just that time spending time with your family and your kids because you're off doing other things. And just recognizing so, so asking those questions before then you make the decision about what you say yes to I think that's that's so true so whatever you say yes to you're saying an unconscious no to something else and even the hanging out at home I used to look at my diary if someone said can you do something like yeah okay am I free that evening or not that was my criteria mm-hmm. actually it should be what's happening the rest of the week and mm-hmm. have I got any nights at home just chilling out having dinner with my family you know what's gonna go if I say yes to this I think what you said is absolutely key it's the getting that space and we Mm. go back to the chimp where you know when we our chimp comes out when we want to uh, when we're in our threat zone so um, we're in our threat zone if we feel a physical threat if we feel a hierarchical threat if we feel a group threat and if we feel Mm. that people aren't gonna like us so if something's asked us to do something maybe a mini chimp comes out and I think I ought to say yes because I want to help and I want them to like me or whatever and actually making decisions while the chimp is out is really bad and it never really goes very well so actually like you said oh I just need to check with my diary or I just need to check that my other half is is in or some excuse to then get back to them and then you can send the message saying I'd really like to do that and I think a book I'd recommend about this is called Essentialism and we both read that haven't we and it's just Mm -hmm. a fantastic book and it's about making good choices and it says whatever you say yes to think about what you're saying no to and what's going to give you you know the most energy and what's consistent with your values and and things like that and make decisions based on that not based on wanting to please people because we're just never gonna we're never gonna please everyone and and what it does say is that the problem is if you do say yes to everything your yes then becomes completely worthless because you often have to go back and say no so I yeah. think it's a actually when you say yes, make people know that you mean it. And then if you say no, actually, no one's really ever judged you for saying no. I said no to a friend the other day about something completely random. But I thought I could either say, oh, that looks really nice. And then I said, actually, no, I, I can't do that at the moment. And they were fine. They said, oh, that's fine. We'll take you off the WhatsApp group. Fine. <laughs> yeah. And that's really important, isn't it? I think particularly that idea that if you're saying yes begrudgingly you know you're, you're not doing it with your full heart in it are you and potentially you know if you say yes quickly and then you're having to go back later on with excuses of why you can't do things that winding people up a bit more really and um you know making them not trust your answers when they ask you in future yeah because we all know people that drop out of things all the time don't we you just know that that person is going to it's a 50 percent chance whether they turn up or they send a text on the night or, or whatever and and that's not nice and i'd never want to be that person 
No, that's very true. So having that time to think and know then that you're going back with the answer you really want to give, I think is the, for me, has been the helpful aspects of yeah. trying to say no, if I, if I don't want to do something. So Joe, we're nearly out of time. I'm just wondering if you had your sort of three top tips for people maintaining better, higher quality connections, both at work and at home, what would your three top tips be? Oh gosh, that's a sorry. Difficult... Like putting you on the spot. <laughs> My three top tips. Well, I think it's having connections at the forefront of your mind, isn't it? Are you talking mainly at work? You're thinking how it would be helpful. Yeah, let's do let's do work, and then we do home as well. Yeah. So I suppose it's thinking from a work point of view. You know, when you're going to my workplace, you know, when I'm going into my workplace, often thinking, you know okay, I've I've got a choice here. I could sit in my room all day and not speak to anybody or I can walk past people's rooms and just stop and say hello or make a bit of conversation and maybe have my door open during the day so I'm not sitting with the door closed. People know it's a freer place to sort of stand and, and chat at my doorway if they want to. And, you know, making time when you're, you know, making a cup of tea, asking other people if they want a cup of tea, those kind of connections and and making sure, you know, your organisation, if you are struggling for face to face stuff, what can you do potentially online that will bond you all together in terms of team meetings and things. So that's what I'd say at, at work in terms of connections. And we talked about vulnerabilities as well, didn't we? So not being afraid to show that you don't know stuff or that you're finding stuff difficult or that you're struggling. Because actually, we know that if you do expose yourself more, people trust you more, they're willing to open up more and connections build and get stronger as well. So thinking about home I think for me, you know, it's focusing on who are those very important people and actually, you know, recognising that we can easily get sidetracked by lots of other stuff that involves other people. And some of that might be nice, but actually what's really important to us, who are the people we really want to be spending time with and connecting with? And, you know, how we try and focus our time on that rather than, all the other stuff around the outskirts if you like so i haven't really given you three top tips yeah, that's I've... good that's <laughs> good i was thinking as you saying that you know just the importance of coffee breaks in organizations you know and i bang on about you know if i could change one thing in gp practices it would be have a coffee break together now i know that's difficult at the moment with mm. social distancing but have a coffee break with someone else sit two meters apart but have that coffee it is so so important or even think about a virtual coffee break Mm -hmm. and then think about how you can give people in your team opportunities for a bit of self-disclosure because that builds trust that builds connection and don't forget it it doesn't take long 40 seconds of a connection even making a cup of tea together can be really important and then I think my, my third tip would be just like yours see make a list of your VIPs who are your VIPs because the thing about VIPs is they don't mind if you don't see them for a while. They're not the people that are going to say, oh, I really need to see you. You know, they're getting on with their busy lives as well. How can you connect regularly with those VIPs in your life, whether it just be on Zoom or going out for a coffee, just the two of you or a small group of you? Really, really important. So thank you, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's great to chat, Rachel. And thanks for inviting me. And I'll, I'll know if I haven't heard from you in another 12 months, I've gone onto the VNP list. 
<laughs> or the VDP more like. <laughs> I'll let you know your new rating. Okay. <laughs> it's like a credit rating. <laughs> I look forward to that. You can text me later. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And if anybody wants to download, we also have a, a COVID team wellbeing checklist and toolkit, which also has um, some instructions about how to run a five minute team check-in, which will help build connection as well for people. So uh, the links for those are in the show notes. So download those and yeah, good luck connecting. Make sure you understand, you know, the importance of doing that and try and have, you know, one or two deep connections with people at least once a day. So thank you, Joe, and we'll speak again soon. Yeah, take care, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.